Summer has officially begun. Well, not officially, but here at Bethany it has. Uh, but welcome this morning. My name is Prentice. Uh, for those of you that I have yet to meet, uh, I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here. Uh, and I just want to say I'm so glad you're here this morning as we continue uh, this series called Drawn to the Margins. And throughout each week, we've been uh, seeing the characteristics of God and how God, through the person of Jesus, has reached out uh, and loved and befriended uh, and not just interacted, but walked alongside people that the society of the day deemed as those on the margins. And what we've realized in this 21st century lens, as we look at the scriptures, is that it's precisely in and through being like Christ and interacting with those on the margins that create intimacy, that, that, that creates transformation, that creates a closeness with God. And so really, the thesis of this whole series is simply this, is to understand and see the kingdom of God fully to its fullest picture is by befriending and being with those on the margins. God is found in the margin. And sometimes that's hard for us to understand. That's hard for us to actually live out. And, it's, and so I'm thankful that uh, throughout the weeks we get uh, kind of a glimpse of what that looked like uh, through the life of Christ and that may we emulate that uh, in our daily lives. And so uh, our text this morning comes, uh, comes from John chapter 3, and here's where we're going if you're a note taker. Uh, for many of us, uh, we are. Uh, there are three things that we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to talk about our silence, our proximity, and our curiosity. Our, our, our silence, our proximity, and curiosity, and I'm excited to unpack these three things with you. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 is our public reading, and the word of the Lord says this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have challenged us in our lives to know and to befriend and to walk alongside those on the margins, not because there's something that we can always contribute and to give uh, to them, but because we can receive because we find you there. And so God, remove any fear that we may have. Remove any ignorance that may be blinding. Remove us uh, from any hesitancy or anything that's clinging to us that is hindering us from reaching out and loving those on the margins because there's where you are found. We thank you for convicting us. We thank you for loving us in the midst of our fallings. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, let me just start off with this. It's no surprise uh, in the last few years that 
uh, things that we watch on TV, the news, the things that we read in the newspaper or online has created a form of of division in our lives. And we talk about this, or I talk about this quite often, because I've been so convicted that if Christians became more like Christ, things in the world may look different. And so I recall a few years ago when uh, the, the, the political madness was kind of coming to an uprise, uh, and there were some things that uh, we saw on the news that really affected our Bethany Community Church staff. And I don't just mean West Seattle, but I mean all 56 of us throughout all locations. It was something on the news uh, that brought so much pain and so much suffering uh, and so much anger and confusion, uh, especially towards the women on our staff. And so the leaders, uh, we, we called everybody, the entire staff, to this big room uh, to kind of just, just sit together and to just process what was happening. Now, everyone came from different walks of life, different political affiliations, different uh, life experiences, different family systems. Uh, but it was an opportunity for us to just sit and, and just to speak and to sit Especially when, when there was news about particular violence, particularly around women, uh, and, and it triggered some trauma, even women in our congregation, and not just congregation, but our staff. And so uh, the leaders, we got a chance to just sit with all 56 staff members just to kind of process together. And, and I remember woman after woman speaking up, saying uh, how hurt they were, some of them being so vulnerable of their past experiences and their past traumas and what was triggered, and, and others just becoming allies. And I remember just sitting there and being silent. And, and even to this day, I don't exactly know where this silence came from. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was the fact that I didn't feel like I had the right to speak up. Maybe it was my chance to just listen. And, and, and though I think all of that may have been true, uh, in the midst of that, I get this text. And I reach under the table, and don't be like me, and important means don't check your phone. But I get this text, and it's from a colleague, not just a colleague, but a good friend of mine who was sitting just five or six feet away from me, and she texts me with, why aren't you saying anything? Don't you care? Why are you not saying anything? Don't you care? And at that very moment, I knew that I was at a crossroad. It was a crossroad to whether uh, to choose the path of silence or the path of what I would say proximity. Uh, to choose the path of silence or to choose the path of proximity. And in that point in case, in that very moment, I only had those two options. There was no such thing as neutrality. There was no such thing uh, as just staying out of the situation because now it hit home. Now I was confronted by it. And I had two options, to stay silent or to choose proximity. To speak up even when there were things seemingly holding me back, to speak up in the midst of that or to shrivel up in fear. And 
Don't miss what is happening. When we're reading the story of Nicodemus, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this story before where Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says, do you want to be saved? In order to be saved, you must be reborn again. And so hence, uh, through centuries, or not even centuries, through just decades, we get this concept of being reborn again. So many of us, if we're Christians, we can raise our hand and say, I am a reborn again Christian. I remember the day. I remember the time, I remember the place, and I'm right there with you. I'm not diminishing that. As a matter of fact, I would consider and identify as a reborn again Christian. As a matter of fact, I remember the time and date and the place that that happened to me. But there's something more that is happening that I don't want us to miss. In John chapter 3, let's just kind of take this by the verse by verse. The first verse says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, now one thing we have to understand about the Pharisees is that, is that today when we read about the Pharisees, they get kind of a bad rap, don't they? I, I mean, they're seen as those that are so judgmental and, and legalistic, and those that were so unloving, as a matter of fact, they were deemed as those that were opposed to Jesus. And that wasn't necessarily false, but uh, so opposed to Jesus and, and just constantly missed the point. I mean, here are these Jewish leaders who were supposed to be the most religious people of them all. And yet they were the ones that we see uh, as missing the points. But we have to realize that during this time, particularly in the first century, in the ancient Near East, that these Pharisees, these Jewish leaders in the church, they were doing the best they knew according to what they understood of God and the laws. They obeyed every law. They participated in every ceremony and rituals. They were leaders in the temple. And as a matter of fact, though it might be different today, they were very, very respected amongst their peers in the first century. And for most Pharisees, uh, for better or worse, uh, the title of Pharisee was actually a badge of honor. They wore that proudly because of the respect and the honor that they received due to being a Pharisee. And so when we look at Nicodemus' story, we see right away that he was in the upper echelon. He was in the midst of Jewish culture and Jewish society. He was a Pharisee. And even in the New Testament, Paul talks about that if he has any reason to brag, he goes on his resume and he says, well, first of all, I was a Pharisee, which tells you about the utmost respect people had for Pharisees during this time and the highest thing that people held them to. And so immediately, John says that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. But I love what John does. John takes it one step further and says, not only is he a Pharisee, but Nicodemus was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 71 people. Nicodemus was one of them. And you could, you can consider them modern day Supreme Court. Okay, this was the ultimate ruling court. 
Uh, there were smaller courts, uh, local courts, but for big trials and for, uh, for, for big crimes uh, and for uh, the need for big, big time uh, religious leaders and, and I guess our modern day Supreme Court justices, Nicodemus was one of them. And so not only was he in the upper echelon, but he was on the upper, upper echelon uh, of society and Jewish culture. In the Sanhedrin court, the very court that, that Nicodemus is a leader of, is the very court that actually found Jesus guilty of crimes that eventually had him crucified. Crimes of violating the Sabbath. Crimes of claiming to be God. Claims of threatening to destroy the temple because they didn't understand the language that Jesus was using. This was the group and the people that Nicodemus identified as. And then in verse 2, which is quite interesting, it says this. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Here's this religious man, not just religious, but the most religious, the most intellectual, the one that went through all the right education, educational steps, all the ceremonies, all the rituals, and he's part of this group that actually despises Jesus. They see Jesus as a threat, they see Jesus as a heretic, and this very group of people that that not only did Nicodemus belong to, but he was a leader of, goes to Jesus. And, and it's very intentional. Do not miss this. He says, he came to Jesus at night. Now, why in the world would Nicodemus go to Jesus at night? And, and most scholars, and, and this is where I agree, uh, would say that it's because Nicodemus had too much to lose. Because of his authority, because of his leadership, his status in not only being a Pharisee, but being part of the Sanhedrin, to be caught interacting with Jesus, oh man, he, you can't even imagine. He would be kicked out. He would be shunned. He would be outcasted, just like everyone else that were allies with Jesus and his friends. So he comes up at night in secrecy. In discretion. And he says, Rabbi. Now we, we see Rabbi is some teacher, but we have to understand that Rabbi, uh, it, it, in the Greek it says Rabbi, which literally means my teacher. There's a possessive form here. My teacher, my great one. Now I want you to catch, catch this. Here's Nicodemus. Not just a Pharisee, but part of the Sanhedrin, the very group that wants to kill, eventually had Jesus killed, that despised Jesus, leaves his, his, his status, goes up to the very person that his group hates, and calls him Rabbi, my teacher, my loved one. And then he professes, he continues, and he, can, he, he professes his belief that he says, I know that you are from God. I know that you are from God. The very statement that his colleagues wanted him executed for. 
And, and here's where we want to identify and see and just name Nicodemus' silence at this point. So number one, here's, we, here's where we get to the silence. I don't want you to miss this. Nicodemus, though he went up to Jesus and called him rabbi, noticed that it was very intentional and purposeful that he couldn't have anybody here. But for all intended purposes, Nicodemus was very silent about his beliefs. And now, I don't necessarily come down so harshly on Nicodemus because we all have been there before. We, we've all had to acknowledge and to wrestle with knowing this truth, having these convictions, and yet being so afraid to say it out loud. And, and I feel like I have a lot of sympathy and a lot of empathy for, for Nicodemus because I feel like he's going through a little bit of a crisis. He knows where he belongs. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows what he's supposed to believe. He knows who he's supposed to not hang out with and to actually despise. And yet he does the very opposite of what his colleagues do and goes up to Jesus and says, my loved one, my teacher. He knew the truth. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was sent by God, but he also knew that he, Jesus, was hated by the religious group that he belonged to, his own peers, especially those elites. Nicodemus couldn't be caught dead around Jesus. And even in his acknowledgement of truth, even in Nicodemus' acknowledgement of truth in Jesus, he was silent. He was afraid to speak up. He hid. And dare I say, he was a bit of a coward. And again, yet I sympathize. We know the feeling. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you look back in hindsight and you're like, man, I should have said something. I should have done something. I should have been louder. I shouldn't have been afraid. I should have stood up to that person. I should have spoken the truth. I should not have remained silent. Have we ever, ever experienced something like that? I remember when I was sitting in that room with the staff, that's exactly what I was thinking. I wish I would have said something. I wish I would have just spoken up uh, to become advocates and allies and friends with those that are hurting, those on the margin yet for whatever reason in that point in time I was silent and so we can't be too hard on Nicodemus and a little subtext here I'm not surprised that it was a religious man that feared his religious people that caused him to be silent to be fearful to be in secret and interacting with what he knew was the truth, who he knew was the truth. Some of the most fearful people I know, people that are most afraid today are pastors and church leaders, including myself. Because we know that if we say one wrong thing that disrupts the status quo, we get kicked out. That's true. We get dismissed. You end up crossing a line that you can't ever seem to return from. And so I look at Nicodemus and I say, I get it, Nicodemus. And as your pastor, I confess, I get scared like Nicodemus. 
I get scared of other religious leaders. I get scared of religious people. To be really frank, sometimes I get scared of my own congregation. Because the moment I come out of silence, there's persecution. There's being pushed out. And so I look at Nicodemus and who he was, and I may not be able to empathize in his status and his reverence and his honor that people have for him, but I do understand that in his time and place, that if he were to be caught dead with Jesus, interacting with him, let alone calling him my loved one, my teacher, he would be so pushed out. And so we all know this saying, if it ain't broke, why fix it? He had everything. He had the privilege of wealth. He had the privilege uh, of status, of fame, uh, of authority. If it ain't broke, why would he fix it? Then I think about this, stay with me now, I think about this cartoon I used to watch. And maybe some of you guys have watched this as well, and you'd be dating yourself as I am. Uh, but it's this cartoon uh, by the title of Popeye the Sailor Man. Raise your hand if you've ever seen Popeye. Okay, so some of you guys, most of you guys will know what I'm talking about when I speak of Popeye. He, he uh, if you didn't know any better, was probably one of the most bravest, probably one of the most strongest guys you'll ha- have ever met or seen on TV, because you know that the moment that he eats his can of what? spinach, something happens where his biceps get huge, he gets courage, he gets bravery, and he kind of, he he saves the day. But what we don't know is that prior to uh, eating spinach, uh, something else happens where he's more cowardice, he's more afraid, he's more timid. But there's something in his life that he cannot put up with. And that's if anybody messed with his loved one, olive oil. If anyone messed with olive oil, he would get really angry and he would eat a can of spinach. His biceps would get huge and he would say this, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. He would say, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. And I wonder if many of us, we need this Popeye moment in our lives when we are so afraid to speak up that we're paralyzed with silence that maybe we need this Popeye moment to say, that's all I can stand, I can stand no more. Where are you silent? Where do you need your Popeye moment? Does your heart break for the homeless, and yet you're silent. There's a break for the immigrant, the refugee, but you've been silent. Are you tired of racism, sexism, systems and structures that abuse our powers, and yet you do nothing? Are you tired of people gossiping around you, yet you're afraid to call them out? Do you see unethical practices in your work, but you're too afraid to say anything in the fear of getting in trouble, being passed up for a promotion? So silence is the best alternative. Are you afraid to to speak of your faith in Christ? What truth do you possess that you hoard, that you keep in silence? 
Because what we get to is a crossroads of proximity. Silence will always give you an option for proximity. When you choose a pathway, I want you to listen carefully. When you choose a pathway of silence, there will always come a time, always, always, always come a time where you run into the intersection of distance and proximity. Anytime there is silence within you, within your soul, within the deepest part of you, you will always enter into this intersection uh, uh, of distance or proximity, and you have to choose which way you are going to go. Sooner or later, you'll be confronted with this choice. Do I, do I walk the road away or towards? Do I ignore or confront? Do I hide or do I show up? Do I speak up or do I keep quiet? And take it from me, almost in every, every scenario, distance is always the easier and safer path. It just is. It is. You don't get in trouble. You don't get kicked out. You don't get angry emails on Monday mornings. It's always a safer and easier path. And and this is precisely what Nicodemus was wrestling with. He seems to know the truth of Jesus. He calls him a rabbi, the one I follow, my teacher, my loved one. And he understands that there's a lot of risk involved. So he must go at night. You see, up to the point of of these chapters before and after, Jesus is being persecuted by religious authorities. And even up to this point, Nicodemus has been silent. I mean, that's kind of an awkward situation for Jesus. Here's this man of the Sanhedrin, not just Pharisee, but Sanhedrin. He's talking to him, Jesus knowing very well that even in the time before and the time after, that he will be silent. Here's what, Jesus, here's what Nicodemus says in, silent, in secrecy. I love you. I believe in you. Uh, you're great. You're from God. I believe in the signs. You are my beloved. You are my teacher. But in public, when everyone else is watching, he's silent. He doesn't speak up. And yet here he comes to this intersection. This intersection between proximity and distance. And he doesn't know what to choose. I think we've all experienced this. And what I really appreciate about Nicodemus is that he's kind of like that annoying child that keeps asking why. Why? How? What? How? Why? Okay, why? Why? He doesn't get it. When Jesus goes right to the point and says, in, in, in order for you to experience the kingdom of God, you must be reborn again. And, and what I love about Nicodemus is that he stays in the arena. He stays in the game and he keeps asking out of curiosity, uh, within proximity, Jesus, what do you mean by I need to be reborn again? How can me as an adult, I, and you can't unread this, and so if you get an image, I'm sorry. Uh, he says, how can me as an adult be reborn again? And, and I love Jesus' response is, you keep, you keep asking me things through a very human lens. When what I'm talking about, Jesus is saying, is of the Spirit. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom unless they are reborn again. Nicodemus says, how can I be reborn again? And Jesus says, 
you still don't get it. And I love uh, in verse 10, he says, you are Israel's teacher and you still don't get it? Here's sarcasm here. You are supposed to, Jesus says, you're supposed to be the smartest. You belong to the most elite, the most religious, the most prestigious social group. And yet you are clueless about the kingdom of God. Because you can't seem to give up your earthly lens. So you remember last week you talked about having faith like a child. And when Jesus talks about faith like a child, it's always in this Greek word, uh, infant. And though even in our English Bibles, it may say child or children. Oftentimes it's infant, very little child. Uh, and so the idea is in order for you to experience the kingdom of God, you must be like an infant. You must be like a newborn who is utterly and desperately dependent on the support and love and life and nourishment of his or her caretaker. You must surrender everything else. I mean, that is the point of Jesus saying, come to me like a child, with a childlike faith. You must be reborn again because as a baby, as an infant, you have no choice but to be fully and utterly dependent on your maker. And here Nicodemus is coming with his resume, being a Pharisee, being a Sanhedrin, his influences, and that's, what's, that's the lens that he's seeing everything through. So Jesus, I don't get it. And Jesus' response to him not understanding, he says this, Nicodemus, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell uh, where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Jesus saying, Nicodemus, you must let go of that earthly lens that you possess. Yes, you have all that experience, you have all that privilege, you have all that uh, knowledge and affiliation and all those things, but you must abandon every loyalty that you may have uh, and commit yourself to be utterly dependent on your maker, on, on God, just like a baby would be dependent on his or her mother or father. And until you do that, you will never experience or know what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And so the question is, what if we are being called to let go of our earthly lens and to put on the lens of what we talked about even earlier in the service, the Holy Spirit? The powerful spirit of God that brings death to life, that brings healing to the sick, that brings comfort to the mourning, that brings peace within the chaos is the same spirit that convicts us, that compels us, that opens our eyes in different ways that our earthly lens can never do towards the people that we need to befriend and to be with and to advocate for and to speak up about and to be loud about, and to defend. But what is it that's holding us back? 
What is it that we need to let go that is holding us back and keeping us in a box of silence? Because know this, when we, when we look to the Spirit, the same Spirit that has the power to raise the dead to life, that Spirit will, and I want you to listen carefully too, the Spirit will expose the roots of our silence. The Spirit will always expose the roots of our silence. And so Jesus says, you have to let go of your earthly understanding and give yourself to the Holy Spirit who will reveal what is heavenly. And when we surrender our earthly lens and says, Holy Spirit, convict me, move me, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to to, to befriend and come across, I promise you the Holy Spirit will move and respond in ways that will surprise you, in ways that will change your mind because you cannot control what the Holy Spirit does and say. The Holy Spirit will come and convict us of something that we may need, not even have understood or known that we need conviction of because the Holy Spirit moves in ways that no one can control. You see, Nicodemus was part of an echo chamber. Believe what he believed because he was supposed to believe that. Because he was told to believe that. Nicodemus was part of the status quo because he knew nothing else or could even imagine a different life. Again, why fix something that ain't broke? He was doing great. He was living the good life. So the question is, what are your fears? What is holding you back? Like Nicodemus must be asking himself in meeting Jesus in the day, in the open, and being obedient and faithful to the way that the Spirit is calling us to move. Like Nicodemus, many of us are in that echo chamber in that earthly lens. And what we have to do, what God is calling us to do is to surrender, to let go of who you voted for, of your political affiliation, of your denomination, of your tightly held doctrines that are detached from the intimacy of the resurrected Christ and to seek only and to be moved only by the Holy Spirit. And when we seek the kingdom of God first, Sometimes you land in different places. Sometimes you no longer can be silent. Sometimes you advocate for people that you may not ever have advocated for in the past because the spirit moves in uncontrollable ways. And here's the beauty for those of us, including myself, that have missed this. There's always going to be a second chance. There's always going to be a third chance. There's always going to be a fourth chance. Let me just read chapter 7, verse 50 to 52 to you. Nicodemus, this is a few chapters later, even within his own silence, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, talking about chapter 3, who was one of their own number, Sanhedrin, asked, does your law condemn a man without first hearing him uh, to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. Let me just 
quickly unpack the significance of this. Jesus is about to be arrested by the Pharisees. Later, the Sanhedrin is going to convict him of these crimes that's going to lead to his death. But here at his arrest, something happens with Nicodemus. He goes up against his own people, his own Pharisees. And he stands up in a loud voice and he says this. He says, does our law, our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? See, what's happening here is that, is that Nicodemus is no longer staying silent. He's coming to advocate for Jesus who is unlawfully being arrested. Right here, right now, Nicodemus is speaking against his own people using the very law that they are committed to, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, that was straight out of Deuteronomy and written in Deuteronomy that writes about practices of the justice system, about the right to a fair trial, about the right to testify and to appeal. It's like a real trial, real court of law. And they've robbed Jesus of an opportunity to testify, to defend himself, And here comes Nicodemus seeing that injustice towards his rabbi. And and though at that moment when he saw this, he had to come to a crossroad. Am I going to continue being silent, therefore becoming distant? Or am I going to enter into this situation? Or am I going to speak up and become close and enter into proximity with Jesus? And this time he picks the right one. He goes to Jesus. He goes to his own people. And he says, back off. Don't you know our law? You cannot actually arrest this man without a fair trial, without him testifying, without him defending himself. And notice in the next verse, his people, the Pharisees, Nicodemus' own peer says, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. See, that was a backhanded offense. You may not catch this, but Galilee was known to be a place where no prophet came out of, nothing pure came out of. Certainly not a high level Jewish person would come from or reside in. Immediately, his own people stab him in the back. They betray him. They disown him. Are you a Galilean too? Who are you? Because Nicodemus decided to speak up and no longer be silent. He risked his reputation. He risked being a traitor. He risked being disowned by his own colleagues. But he did this because the spirit compels. The spirit convicts. And in this point in case, he was obedient. And later in chapter 19, you'll also see that he was at the grave of Jesus, bringing Jesus to the grave, his wealth. Nicodemus was a changed man. And what changed him, what brought transformation in his heart was to be sensitive, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he was obedient, even obedient to the point of betrayal from his own people. He could no longer be distant. He had to be close. He came out into the light and against darkness, figuratively and literally. No longer was he seeing Jesus at night. He was seeing Jesus during the day. 
and it was costly. It was costly. Where is the Spirit asking you to speak up? Is it at work? Is it at school? Do you have to have a hard time? Uh, do, you, do you have to have a hard conversation with a loved one? Do we need to recognize our own privilege, which comes with responsibility? To be generous, to be advocates, to be a friend? Do we need to share our faith with somebody who needs the hope of Christ? Do we need to be an advocate for those that are oppressed, that are marginalized, what this whole series is all about? Where is the Spirit asking you to speak up, to do something, to no longer be silent, even if it costs you something? Because the truth will always cost you something. The truth will always, always, always cost you something, but it will never be as expensive as silence. What is and where is your Popeye moment? When my friend texted me at that meeting, even in my own silence, it hit home for me. It was, these were my friends. These were my colleagues. And at that point, I could no longer be silent because it hit home. And so, yes, towards the end of it, even within my silence, I had that Popeye moment, and I raised my hand, and we had a great conversation. I love the fact that we had that opportunity. But may we, as followers of Christ, never seek to just merely be silent, but to walk alongside those that are marginalized, that are oppressed, so that we, too, may give up our own earthly lens at no matter what cost. There's an acquaintance that I once knew, that I still know, who, she works at a church, and she saw somebody from her congregation, a, 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 black, a young black man, being killed, shot down by a police officer. Now, I don't know the whole story, but we know that there was a death. And for, for her, she shared with the, the big group, saying, at that moment, I knew I could no longer be silent. I knew I no longer could have distance because this was my church. This was my neighborhood. I had a friend a couple summers ago who took his own life. Never had I ever experienced someone taking their own life. And at that moment, this hit home. And I can no longer stay silent about depression, about anxiety, about hopelessness. Where in your life, where are people that you have created distance with out of fear that cause you to be silent? And what would it take for us to remove that distance and say, this is home? This is me. Where in our lives do we need that Popeye moment of strength, of courage? May we receive that from the Holy Spirit who has the same power, who is the same power that raised Jesus back to life. We have that in our lives. May we live like it.
And as I invite the band back up and an opportunity for us to respond, may that be our prayer. God, where do I need to speak? Where do I need courage? Where do I need that Popeye moment? The Spirit will reveal itself to you and to me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your life, death, and resurrection, that we may speak of it and of its power, the same power that moves us to repentance and to transformation. So God, in the places of our lives that we've been silent, God, forgive us. But may we choose a different path, a different path of proximity and not distance. May the ones hurting, may those on the margins, may we draw close to them. May that be home. May we identify in Nicodemus' mistakes. May we identify in Nicodemus' redemption. Speak to us. Give us strength and give us courage. In your name we pray.